G'day and welcome to Perco's Podcast, a podcast all about strategy, leadership and soul care. We're here to help you obtain your personal, professional and spiritual goals without losing your soul. We hope that today's episode is refreshing and gives you a new perspective. Now here's your host, Jason Perkins. Well, g'day everyone and welcome to episode 21, part two of Perco's Podcast. I hope as always, it is well with your soul no matter where you are listening from around the world. I'm so excited to share part two of a conversation that I had with my good friend, Sean C. with you today. In case you missed part one of the conversation, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to part one because Sean really sets the backstory to the conversation that I'm going to be sharing with you today. So in order to understand what we're talking about today, you really need to go and get the backstory in part one of this episode. This week, I heard from one of our listeners in Western Europe who's been catching up on some previous episodes. Matt reached out and mentioned how helpful the live podcast recording we did towards the end of 2020 was regarding Sabbath. I'm not sure if practicing a weekly Sabbath rhythm is a part of your life, but I have to say it has revolutionized our family, especially when it comes to our relationships with each other and our relationship with God as well. I highly recommend having listened to episode 19, but more importantly, taking some steps towards implementing a weekly rhythm of Sabbath into your life. It'll be well worth your time. Well, we would love to hear from you as well, just like we did from Matt. So stick around to the end of the show, and I'm going to share with you some ways that you can connect with us online throughout the week. Coming up on our next episode of the podcast, it's going to be a great conversation with a couple that I greatly admire. Barry and Paula Davis will be talking all about how we care for the soul of our spouse and ultimately, how can we care for the soul of our marriages? So if you're married, know someone who's married, ever dream of being married, then you don't want to miss our next conversation with Barry and Paula Davis. Well, let me remind you of who today's guest is again. Sean C. is the lead pastor of Athens Church in Athens, Georgia, which is a partner of North Point Ministries. Sean and his wife, Bonnie, met and were married during their college years. They've got three great kids, Boone, Bryson, and Lola. Sean is a pastor and a communicator and has a huge passion for leading his church. In today's episode, Sean gets really practical for us about what he did on his sabbatical. And I want to encourage you to stick around to the end of the conversation because he has a incredible, incredible challenge for all of us. So stick around to the end of the conversation. Without further ado, here is my conversation with my good friend, Sean C. So walk us through, you. I, I, I want to get to the experience that you had with Michael out at Restoring the Soul, but walk us through what did you actually do on the sabbatical? Because I know for me, I remember the first time hearing your story and then talking to others that have been a, you know, a part of doing something similar. I was like, so what did you do for three months? Like, what is, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're getting, yeah. first of all, it's an incredible gift to be given sure. the opportunity to take paid leave and to, in a yeah. sense, work on who you want to become and not have to right. worry about anything that needs to get done. Um, so yep. what, is, what is it that, that you actually did during that time? Yeah, I would say my sabbatical was kind of broken up into three parts. Okay. Um, part one, I'm just going to call uh, releasing the pressure valve. 
Yeah. And there was really no way you could have explained this to me on the front side. I had to experience it, I think. So there'll be some people listening to this and they're like, I, I don't get it. I don't really think I need that or whatever. But all I know to say is when I made the decision to step away for the sabbatical, I had about a one month window between when I started and when I was going to be going to Colorado to meet with Michael. And I didn't know what to do. I just knew I needed to completely disconnect from all responsibilities and my church. I literally told my team, if the place is on fire, call the fire department and not me. Like I, I will, I will find out about it eventually. Yeah. Um, I completely disconnected from social media. Yeah. I uh, deleted the uh, email app off my phone. Yeah. I did not go to my church. I did not go to my small group. Bonnie went to our small group without us. Bonnie, listen, this, we actually had a staff retreat during this time. Bonnie went to staff retreat. I didn't go to the staff retreat. <laughs> um, so she was going to church every week. The kids yeah. were going to church every week. Um, I was actually in that early part. Um, I was just decompressing from everything. It was the first time in my life where I had only been responsible for me. I got married at 22 years old. Yeah. Um, no, 21 years old. Um, I was 21 years old when we got married. So I had never been single in my life. Yeah. And, you know, and we had, I was grad school and kids and, and, and seminary and, and all that stuff and then ministry. So for the first time in my life, I woke up and my objective that day is wake up, eat and go back to bed at some yeah. point in time. Yeah, yeah. And there was something so healing just in that, yeah. just in separating yourself and in a sense of, and for me, you know, I talked to a friend one time and he took like a 30 day sabbatical and everybody's got to figure out their thing. I yeah. was like, dude, 30 days. I was just getting started. You know, yeah. it took me, you know, envision, you know, the bicycle, right? You're, you're, you're riding, you're riding, you're riding, you're riding. And all of a sudden you, you stop, but the pedals are still going, you know, yes. you stop pedaling, but they're still going. Yeah. I felt like it took me 30 days before all of that calmed down. And so during that period of time, I did a number of things. We have a monastery down the road. Yeah. Um, I, you can go there and rent a room. It's completely quiet. Um, that's actually where I read the book of praying life by Paul yeah. Miller, which was life changing for me. Um, I took a, uh, I took a trip with my father. Okay. Um, my dad, we went for two or three days to the place where he grew up. And I was like, dad, tell me what it was like growing up here and all this. We had a really sweet time. Um, uh, took a trip with one of my kids. Actually, one thing is I have a coworker here who we're just really good friends. And we just went and he and I did a two or three night trip just together, just fun. Yeah. We went and snow skied and whatever. And so there were all the, you know, I had friends that had a, a cabin in, in the mountains and I was like, Hey, can I go up there for a couple of nights and just sit by the fire and, and, you know, be with God. And so there were all these kind of little pieces that made up that first month for me. And it was just, Oh man, it was so powerful. So healing. So all that was just decompression before I got to, and I, and, and um, I felt like I, I needed that so badly so that I could make the most out of that um, counseling intensive. Yeah, Sean, I I love the fact that you took some time to just let it all slow down, decompress. And I know I've talked to so many people that, you know, they go on a vacation and they're like, well, the first week of my vacation is just me slowing down enough to enjoy a vacation. You know, and the second week I actually yeah. begin to enjoy it. But I think that's so important from from my own experience. Somebody gifted me. I, I worked and lived in Colorado, and you know that, and we've experienced uh, some times together in Colorado. 
somebody gifted me their cabin up in the mountains of Estes Park one time because I was so wound up, I just needed to get away. I drove two hours to Estes Park in my truck, got out, went into the cabin, sat down. I lasted 30 minutes. I couldn't slow down. I got back in my yeah. truck and came home because I just, yeah. just needed more time than just a couple of days. And so, man, yeah. I, I love the fact that you just took that first part of it and just spent time slowing down so that God could really start to do a work in your heart. So it's so good, man. So tell us about, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one thing I want to just connect to that I think some people might be experiencing right now, right? Some people uh, listen to this, watching this, uh, are people who don't have any experience with this whatsoever, like I was, Peter, real yeah. on the clock, you know, seven years ago or so. And you hear us from a time like this, you're always like, how am I going to find that kind of time? What am I going to do? All those yeah. kind of questions. But really behind all that also is this fear of, I think what you're saying is, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I can handle that type of silence and solitude or that like life slowing down like that. I, I, honestly, I'm not hundred percent sure I want to be with myself yes. in that sort of environment. And the, the, so I simply, I guess, just want to say, first of all, I would encourage you to just um, be humble and be authentic and acknowledge that w with yourself and with the Lord and maybe even with, with someone else. But I think, um, I think the thing that I would say is it's way, way better than you think it is. Yeah. Um, you, your idea is, you know, fear and introspection and, and, and seeing all your flaws and, you know, some deeper soul work that maybe you don't feel ready for or whatever, but man, there is something so sweet in it. And yeah. I think you uh, just begin to release some things and you begin to breathe in some fresh air. And I really think for me, some parts of me came alive that I didn't even really know about um, that much, but I think I needed that time to get there. So I just want to acknowledge and, and recognize that fear that, that comes with, with that idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to completely butcher this quote, but I believe it was Blaise Pascal that said, you know, the greatest problem with humanity is not being able to be alone in a room by ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and I, I just think, yeah, for me, I know that this has been a, a huge journey for me just to figure out what this silence and solitude and being alone and slowing down even, even can look like. So, well, listen, yeah. you, you went from that first month and then you, you went out to Colorado to restoring the soul and spent some time with Michael, who you've done a lot of follow-up work with. In fact, one time when you were in Colorado and we had lunch together, you had just come from there. And so what, uh, what was it about that experience that you feel like was so monumental and, and such a breakthrough for you? Yeah, man, there are just so many factors. Uh, one was just simply where I was in my life. I just, I needed, I needed help. I needed some answers. I needed somebody with some fresh perspective. So I think I, my heart, and again, I had, had slowed the train down enough to get to a place where I could actually hear some things. So I think those were all factors. Um, you know, and, and I, and as you mentioned, I was coming in in crisis. I was coming in in pain. I mean, my wife was not enjoying being around me. I was hurting the people I loved. I wasn't physically hurting them, but I was hurting them emotionally um, and even maybe psychologically and just some of my inabilities to control some things. So, so all that was some huge felt need. And that was significant, right? Because uh, you get to enough of a pain point. Um, most people I know that go to AA or something like that, they go because they're at a pain point, right? They walk in yeah. because 
they haven't found any other solutions. And so I think that was significant for me. And I, I sure think I could have gotten a lot out of it without getting to that place, but that's where I was. But then the other thing was, I mean, the best way I know to say it is um, everybody has different gifts for different things. And when you find a person who has a level of giftedness for this type of soul work, yeah. um, like Michael does in his ministry, Restoring the Soul, they have other uh, counselors that are that are on their team there as well. It, it just, man, I, you know, I you give Michael Jordan a basketball and, and he's been doing it long enough to, to know he knows what to do with it. Yeah. And I think um, you, you, I, you brought a wounded soul into um, this, this ministry and this environment and um, God has really gifted them and they have trained and worked hard to be prepared. And so, yeah, I mean, he just approached me in a way no counselor had ever approached me before. Uh, the way that I say this, some, some strong leaders might uh, resonate with this. As an Enneagram 8, I'm very direct, yeah. very black and white. So people tend to communicate with me very direct and, and very black and white. And, and I kind of come at people and they kind of come back at me, you know, um, at, not always, but at, at times in relationships. Michael did this amazing thing where, first of all, he spent three sessions. So think about this, yeah. nine plus hours of just me telling my story. Yeah. When is the last time you have told your story to someone for nine hours? I know. <laughs> you know? I mean, the kind of question asker someone has to be in the place you have to be in life. But anyway, at the end of that time, he did this, something amazing to me. Yeah. He did a presentation to me. I think of all, I tell people this all the time. It's almost like a presentation to the board, but he sat down beside me and with like a, literally like a flip chart, he said, I want to show you Sean C as I see him. Wow. After listening to this. And no one had ever done that for me before. Yeah. And he said a couple of things to me that were like, the light bulbs were like, oh my goodness, I've never thought of myself that way. I've never heard myself described that way before. But the thing he did approach wise is rather than just be like so direct and in my face, I describe it as I would tell my story and he would just come sit down beside me and put his arm around me and be like, this is awesome. We're in this together. Yeah. So let, let, let's look at this, this problem, this thing out there together. And so now I had, you know, it's interesting um, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming, right? The word he uses empirically, one called alongside. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I viewed um, my experience with Michael that way very much. He came alongside me and I don't know, it just put me in a non-defensive posture. Yeah. And my heart was just in a really open and receptive place. And so, um, so yeah, that was really powerful. And that was kind of how the first by third of our time developed. And then we, you know, we did some healing prayer and we did some, you know, um, a, a number of other different practices together while we were there, which were all really significant. Yeah. You know, Sean, I've had this experience in the past where I think to myself, man, I wish I had heard this or I wish I had learned this, you know, I, I oftentimes will say, Oh man, I wish I'd read that, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. But then for me, Sean, I, I don't know where I heard this from. I think it was, I think it was karate kid. Uh, Miyagi, I think said it and it's probably, so it's not biblical truth, but it, I think it's still true. He said that the teacher will appear when the student is ready. Yeah, and sure. I, and I am just like, you know, oftentimes I read something or somebody will a moment like that, somebody will come alongside and so kindly and graciously point something out. 
and, and immediately I think to myself, man, I wish I'd known that. But then I realized, man, even if I had read that or they had said that to me when I was 35 or 25 or whatever, I, I wouldn't have been ready to receive that. Yeah. Did you experience any of that kind of feeling when you were in those moments where you're like, I wish I'd known, but just wasn't ready? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And as a father now of 20 and 18 year old sons, there's a million things I would love to impart to them. And I can just tell they're not ready. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like, I tell people, you know, it's like trying to train your like 13 year old, how to manage money. Your 13 year old doesn't care about money. They just want you to give them a $20 bill and leave me alone. Like, yes. I don't want to learn your financial principles. I'm not ready for that. But when you, not, you get I'm not ready 20, for 10, 10, 80, dad, I got a hundred percent of 20 bucks. I'm going to go spend. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And, uh, and anything else I can find under the sofa seat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, but you get them to 23 years old and then you want to start talking about, you know, how do you manage money? They're, they're wide open. So yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I, I think I, that's a huge deal. I think there's a huge lesson as I'm listening to you recall the story with Michael. He obviously spent those hours leading up to that time building an immense amount of trust with you mm-hmm. and really communicating to you that at the end of the day, Sean, I get nothing out of this other than helping you and I am for you being the best yeah. version of yourself. I'm not here because if you don't change, then my life's you know going to yeah. be miserable. Or if you don't change, then I'm not going to get what I want out of you as a leader or whatever. Yeah. His whole reason was just to help you become the best version of yourself. And that must have built such an immense oh, amount man. of trust so that when he came and kind of did that presentation, you were ready to receive it. And as, I, as I'm listening to that, I'm thinking to myself as leaders, that's what we have to do with every single person we interact with, including those yeah. closest to us, like our sons and our daughter, who we would love yeah. to influence. But if they don't yeah. think that we have their best interest at heart, then they're not going to yeah. be ready to receive it. Yeah. I uh, couldn't agree more. Michael, by the way, is an, is an Enneagram too. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing he told me early on when I got there, you know, just the way he was even asking about my story, the empathy and compassion and everything in which he was listening and, and resonating. But he told me, he said, Sean, I want to make this very clear. I am not your wife's counselor. I'm not your elder's counselor. I'm not anybody else's counselor. I'm yours. Yeah. And he said, anything you say here is safe here. You know, obviously, unless you're doing harm to yourself or others or something like that. Yeah. And sure. he's like, I'm not reporting back to anybody else, some report card. This is me and you and God. And it was powerful. You know, I mean, I think the, the, the principle there, obviously, similar to what Schrodinger's, he created a safe space for me. Yeah. And I would just tell you, as a leader, I don't do a great job of that. I oftentimes move into advice in the first 10 minutes, you know, and here, let me fix your problem and, and move on because I view it through a task lens rather than a relationship lens. But yeah. that's why also why God didn't lead me to be a counselor, you know? <laughs> um, right. So knowing yeah. that that wouldn't be my giftedness, but yeah, I think, I do think there's a lot of um, relationship and leadership principle to learn there, but yeah, yeah he was just, he, he was, he was a massive, a massive gift in that way. So how did you wrap up your sabbatical? The last, cause you took a three month. So you were, you yeah. were, First month decompressing, you did some work on your soul. And so what did the last part of your sabbatical look like? 
Yeah, mine was actually a little more like 10 weeks, but still okay. in that similar range. Yeah. Um, yeah, so interestingly enough for me, that was uh, just before the Christmas holidays. So, you know, kind of the biggest holidays here in the U.S. or Christmas and New Year's and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I came back and, and, and started to reintegrate with my family a little okay. bit. Uh, obviously came back and decompressed with Bonnie a lot about how the intensive had gone. And, and that all began to be a bit of a healing process for us. Um, but then I came back and met with my elders just after the holidays. But yeah, I, um, I still, that, that I think was another big thing. I really was intentional about easing my way back in. Yes. So, you know, I kind of let off the gas in that first month and then did that kind of intensive hard work. I actually, I went, I came home and then right after New Year's, I went back out there for another weekend. Um, they did a, they issued a men's weekend that was a, a, a neat ministry thing that, that Michael invited me to. So I flew back out to Colorado, was a part of that. That was another little part of the healing journey. Um, but then, yeah, just kind of allowed myself to continue to process those things with the Lord without adding back all of life's responsibilities just yet. But even when I went back to work, like the first like week or so, I went back like part time. And then, I, you know, next week was like two thirds time and you kind of ease my way back. But I'll just tell you this, you know, this can go into some of the whole like life rhythms thing. To this day, I changed the way I do my schedule. So just real yeah. quickly, yeah, if you no. were to back up prior to my sabbatical, yeah. I was up at six. I was at the gym by 630. I was at uh, hop in the shower. I was at a breakfast appointment by 7.30 with my first cup of coffee. By my noon lunch appointment, I was on coffee cup number five. And then, you know, busting it through the rest of the afternoon and then kids sports in the nighttime and all that and then barely making it to bedtime. And part of what I was learning is that rhythm was not setting me up for success. Yeah. So just a couple little things. Um, I got to the place where I started helping my wife get the kids out the door for school and actually giving them a ride to school. It's yeah. totally slowing down my mornings. I learned, I learned a ton about, um, you know, naturalistic healthcare and nutrition and all those things. Even when I heard you use the, the seven years in a field earlier, I was wanting to go into my whole regenerative farming thing, you yeah. know, it's like, Hey, you need to still be doing that by the way. It is good yeah. for soil and whatnot. But anyway, um, but I learned that for instance, I can't have uh, caffeine in the mornings. Um, I can, but it gets my motor going so fast, so quickly yeah. that like I'm kind of operating in the flesh and then I'm worn out by the afternoons. So I actually now, just just for me, I only drink caffeine between like noon and 5 p.m. Okay. Uh, that's just the only time I'll have decaf coffee in the mornings. Yeah. And so I still love coffee, but just figuring out some of those rhythms. Here's another one. For the most part, now there are exceptions, there's been a couple of exceptions this week. I don't set up any meetings in my day until 10 a.m. Okay. Uh, I start my day with kids and the Lord and some soul practices. And every day is a little bit different yeah. but that I need to do to keep myself in a healthy place. Because if I, I know based on my task orientation, if I go immediately into task, I can't turn it off and go back to the Lord. Yeah. It's like if, if I don't start with that um, real early on, I, I don't have much of a chance. So all those things were kind of rhythms that came out of that time, just learning. I had to figure out what worked for me. I also um, spent some time um, with some antidepressant medication. I actually tried like three different ones. Yeah. Um, I'm not taking any of those medications right now. I totally understand people that do. Um, but yeah. I, the, the naturalistic healthcare process we went through, fortunately, was able to get my body to a place where I, I didn't need that to the same degree. Um, 
But yeah, those were all things kind of coming back out of that was not just like slamming right back into, you know, 50 hours a week and, you know, the same rhythms that I had been in before. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about these spiritual practice, these things that you do prior to 10 o'clock, Sean. What are some of the things you said? It doesn't look exactly the same every day, but maybe highlight for us three or four of the practices that you feel like have been most transformative for keeping your soul healthy. Yeah, man, they're really basic and nothing new. I mean, I need a, I need a, a Bible intake habit in my life. Right. And I'm a, again, a pretty task oriented person. So that's usually some sort of, um, you know, regimented uh, Bible reading plan that I'm a part of Um, the coming out of that book, a praying life that I mentioned, he mentions these prayer cards as a way that he prays for really specific things. It's literally a, it's super simple. It's an index card. You write your wife's name on the top of it and here's things you're praying for her about. And you keep coming back to those cards over and over again. And, and you, oftentimes you see God answer some of those prayers and you kind of highlight them when God answers that. And then you write another one on there. Um, I, uh, one thing, even in just this last year, um, John Eldridge, um, wrote the book, uh, get your life back or take your life back. And and he created the pause app. Yeah. So good. So that's a really rather regular part of my rhythm. You know, contemplative prayer was something that Michael taught me, um, you know, Lectio Divina, some of those kind of steps. Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm, I want to be careful that I don't make myself sound like I'm more of an expert and those things are always a part of my rhythm, but those would be, I would say kind of in the toolbox. I'm a big worship music person. So uh-huh. man, there are times that I'm just sitting down listening to, you know, multiple worship songs and just kind of letting myself be with the Lord there. Um, but yeah, all, all those things would be, um, you know, habits and practices that are, that are part of my r- rhythm now. Yeah. So Sean, just for those that are listening, I I just want to mention something. You mentioned a number of different things and then you followed up with, I want to make sure nobody thinks that I'm some sort of an expert in these things. I just, I just love to remind listeners that these are called spiritual practices and they are not spiritual perfections. Like we are all on a journey and, and that's why we call them practices. So even, you know, our family has a very, kind of, uh, I guess, aggressive approach to Sabbathing every week, but it's a practice. We're still figuring it out. It's not like we've perfected yeah. it somehow, but we are certainly um, really, really devoted to it. So I love some of those habits and rhythms that you've begun to, to implement in your life. What do you think's changed the most, Sean, at work for you, in your marriage, your parenting, your friendships? What, what would you say if you just had to highlight one thing from those four areas, your work, marriage, parenting, and friendship, what would you say has changed the most? Well, on the relational side, this was the first time in my life that I understood the concept of empathy. Okay. Uh, Empathy is, you know, feeling and understanding what other people are experiencing. And um, I just, I don't know, man, I was so, uh, I think, focused and driven and whatnot. I just don't think I even had the emotional capacity for it. But I think as God began to heal and clean some of those things, uh, I just began to start to, you know, a little bit. And gosh, I'm a rookie at this for sure, because it's very non-intuitive for me. It's something the Lord has to help me with, but begin to feel a little bit of what my wife was feeling. By the way, that that uh, September of 2012, I told you, was that big day. October of 2012, we did the series at Athens Church 
uh, Jeff Henderson's teaching called climate change. Oh yeah. In that series, Jeff asked what has been one of the most life-changing questions ever for me. He asked the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I just began to think about that. What's it like? Bonnie would say to me for years, you don't see your facial expression. You don't hear your tone of voice. We do. And so I began to, the Lord just began to open my eyes and heart a little bit to that. So introducing an element of empathy into um, my marriage and parenting and friendships, yeah. um, that in and of itself was, was really um, life-changing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, another thing, uh, Michael introduced me to the author, Brene Brown. Yeah. Uh, I pretty much read everything Brene wrote. And, um, you know, her whole idea of shame research and whatnot, but living with a, a real sense of vulnerability and authenticity and the courage that that takes. I think um, the more I began to do that, the more I began to create safe space for others to do that as well. Um, but yeah, man, I, in terms of Athens Church, this is, uh, if you are the leader of an organization or, or influential in an organization at all, I would really want to encourage you with this. I wholeheartedly believe that what God did in me during that, what he began in me during that window of time radically impact our, impacted our church. Yeah. We are, the culture of our church is markedly different from that season forward. And um, that's just been significant on a lot of levels. We're just a healthier place, having more authentic conversations. And uh, man, I just, I would have never known that earlier or, or, you know, moving forward, but just in God's timing, it was, all really, really significant. Um, I ended up doing a, you may remember this, I ended up doing a, a teaching series called Trending Toward Healthy. Yes, I do remember. And, um, that was that was super influential in my life at the time, Sean. You began to introduce some concepts and some resources. I remember going to Athens Church website and your staff had listed books and reading in that yeah. vein that were super helpful, yeah. emotionally healthy spirituality, Pete Scazzaro, yep. that whole world yep. was opened up to me because of that. So, I, yeah, unpack that a little bit, Sean, but in the, in the sense of if I'm a leader and I'm wanting to bring this kind of thing to the organization, obviously people are going to see that lived out in my own life. That's the first way that you bring it to the organization. But you've brought the the rhythm of sabbaticals to the organization. You've brought a lot of this teaching and and thought process to the to the congregation. What would you say is a great track to do that? Um, well, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the unfortunate uh, reality of that is it has to there has to be some lived experience in it. And so um, the first thing I think you can do is just fully open your heart to God and open yourself to some other people and say, God, what do you want to do in me? Because we all know as a leader, it's really hard to take people somewhere you haven't been. And so when you begin to give God that space and opportunity to work in you, as scary as that is, and the fruit on the other side of it, you know, when you experience God's grace fully, you're obviously more inclined to extend that to other people, right? And so as you do that, it starts shaping the whole culture. And, um, you know, for instance, we set a policy within our church where church staff, it's just so cool. I have a new staff member that just started a few months ago and she, she thanked me, thanked us for this specifically. But 
Um, we set a, a policy where if you go to counseling of any kind, we'll reimburse you. It's like a certain percentage of the cost up to a maximum limit per year, something like that. But it is very common right now for a staff member of Athens Church to go, be back in an hour and a half, headed to counseling, you know, see you yeah. guys in a little while. Yeah. But this staff member came to me and she said, hey, I've worked at three different churches. She said, I've never been at a church. Which was really life-changing for her. Yeah, so um, good. So good. Yeah. I love that. So, Sean, as we wrap up the conversation, I want to just ask you to talk to that person that's listening and they're like, hey, I don't. I don't work for an organization like this new staff member that just came to you who yeah. promotes this and encourages it or even allows a sabbatical here in Australia, Sean, we have this amazing concept called long service leave. And I, I won't explain the whole concept. I've, I've kind of shared with you a little bit about it, but it's basically built into the HR rules that you accumulate, you accrue a certain amount of weeks every year that you work in an organization for a concept like long service leave, but not everyone has that kind of opportunity given to them. What would you say to that person that wants and desires to do this type of thing, but maybe doesn't have a sabbatical opportunity, first of all? And then I would love for you to speak to the person that quite frankly was me before I can, you know, met you and, and had conversations with you about sabbaticals who kind of looked at it as like a bit of nonsense. What would you say to those two people? Yeah. To the person that doesn't have uh, really like a system for this or whatever, where they are, I would just say, and it depends how, honestly, how, uh, how challenging your story has been, how you've processed things, where you are on your emotional health journey. You may be at the place where I was, where it doesn't matter if your organization offers it or not, or not. I mean, if I had been a dentist, seven years ago, I would have probably had to quit for a while and yeah. go do this and just trust that God's going to somehow allow me to get another job when I get back. I mean, it was that, it was make or break for me. Yes. So if you're at that place, I would just say it is way better to quit your job and save your marriage and your children and your uh, emotional health and trust that God can give you another job. Like it's that big a deal. Yeah. Um, and I honestly see a lot of people in our culture that aren't willing to make that trade. And yeah. so they opt for another spouse and another family and all the complexities and pain that comes with that. Um, other people probably are not as in extreme a place as I am. And so they could actually begin just with some of these practices that you've referred to, and they could begin to build some healthy rhythms and they could just begin with a counselor in their community. And really they could see some really incredible pro process without having to do something maybe quite as extreme, if you will, as what I did. Yeah. And I would just say, man, that's awesome for probably, I'd say there's probably a lot of people for whom that's the case. And if that's the case, I, you know, I had been doing counseling for years. And so that, that might be enough for you. So um, here's the challenging thing is the people in your life who really know you, they're probably the ones who can best answer that question for you. <laughs> and if you have the guts to ask them, your spouse, your coworkers, your, you know, your, your good friends, um, maybe even your children, depending on what age or stage of life they're in, asking them the question like, hey, how badly do you think that I need this? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, where do you see me on this? I think that's a really gutsy question to ask, but a significant one. Um, and for and that person, the, the, for that person that's a little bit of a cynic and maybe even 
not yeah. mocking, but you know, looking at or listening to this and going, Oh, come on guys. Like who's got time for that? What would you say to yeah. that? Um, I would just say again, uh, not knowing who they are and all the circumstances of their lives, but if they're like me, okay, I'll, I'll use, I'll put myself in that Senex seat. I will just say, here's what I would say to Sean seven years ago. Sean, I know you think this is dumb. I know you think this is for wimps. I know you think real men don't do this or whatever, but let me tell you something. You are hurting the people you love the most. Mm. The story they are going to tell is that they were wounded by you and you don't see it that way, but that's the story they're going to tell. Yeah. And you have a choice on whether or not they tell that story. And so this may seem extreme. It may seem ridiculous, but, I know that you love them enough to take a bullet for them, but do you love them enough to take a sabbatical for them, to take mm -hmm. a break for them and become the person that they need you to become? And again, if you have the guts, ask them. Yeah. I mean, if you gave the people in your life who you really love an anonymous survey, how healthy am I? What is it like to be on the other side of me? What do you think I really need to work on in life? I mean, they might not come back with near as extreme results as I did, but if I had given that honest survey to my wife and three children and coworkers and friends back then, the end result would have been, Sean, you've got some really broken things you need to work on. Yeah. And I, that was, that would have been very hard for me to hear, but it was true. Yeah. And I, I definitely am at the place now in my life where I would way rather hear a hard truth than believe a lie you know, the, the, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I, I would just say, have the courage to ask the people around you what it's really like to be in relationship with you. And if you can't change it, then, you know, make it a priority and, and, and find some help with somebody who can help you. Yeah. There are a lot of dads, myself included, that would say, and we would quote it even, I'm willing to do anything for my kids or I'm willing to do yep. anything for my family. And maybe that anything might be something that you think is actually a little bit of nonsense or maybe a little bit weak or whatever. And that might yep. be the very thing. They don't need you to take the bullet, but they may need sure. you to take the sabbatical or the counseling session or whatever it is. And, That's right. and hopefully they will never need you to take a bullet for them to protect them. But hopefully you're willing to do the yeah. other thing. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you and I have been doing this for a long time, right? 999 men specifically, I can just speak to men, 999 men out of a thousand are more likely to need to take a sabbatical for their families than a bullet, yes. right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know many dads that have taken a bullet for their family, but I know lots of dads that are creating more harm than they realize with the relational patterns that they currently have in place. Yeah. And uh, they just, they don't know it and they don't really know what to do about it, but there, there really is something they can do. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, Sean, I always love asking podcast guests a couple of questions. I love asking what has been the most helpful resources, whether it's books or podcasts or whatever it is for you on this journey of caring for your soul. And then I always love to ask people if, if someone listening would like to just track and journey with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, man. Gosh, and resources, I could give such a long list, but I've obviously yeah. mentioned in terms of uh, actual counseling 
ministry and all that. Actually, they do intensive weekends as well, but Restoring the Soul Ministry in Colorado. I know there are other similar organizations around that do similar things. Um, you know, in terms of books, gosh, it just depends where you are. I mean, John Ortberg, Soul Keeping with the Game Changer book for us. I mentioned uh, Brene Brown books. I mean, The Gift of Imperfection and, and others um, have been really significant along the way. You mentioned Pete Cazero and Emotionally Healthy um, you know, church and spirituality and all that, those guys have created some really good um, resources. Actually, Restoring the Soul does a podcast as well. So okay. that's, that's one easy way that you could kind of dip your toes in, in, in those waters. But, um, and then I mentioned um, John Eldridge, Get Your Life Back and the Pause app. And yeah. um, th- those, those resources have been super helpful. So yeah, I could probably give a lot more there. And in terms of, um, you know, finding out any, any more about me, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm on, Social media, I don't really love social media all that much, but I tend to go back to it for the same idiotic reasons that most uh, most of us do. But yeah, just S-E-A-N, S-E-A-Y. And then our church is AthensChurch.com. Um, and so a lot of the resources um, that I uh, use and put out are, are available there as well. So yeah. yeah. Hey, Sean, we both have been influenced by a great guy, Andy Stanley, and he's all about bottom lines, like summarize it just give me one takeaway one thing because we've talked about a lot of great things today but if you were like man i just want you to go away with this one thing if you're listening to this what would it be yeah the way we said it in the trending toward healthy series that we stole this phrase i can't remember who from but I, I still think it's helpful i think i would i would look at this individual and i would say hey I realized probably some of the pain and hurt and, and dysfunction in your life wasn't even your fault. Probably was some things, some, some ways some other people treated you or some things you experienced in life. And I would say it is okay to not be okay. Yeah, It's all right, man. That, that, is, that is acceptable. I mean, that is normal. That is human. Um, but then I would add the but. But it's not okay to stay that way. Yeah. And so it's perfectly okay to be broken, to be wounded, you know, to, to have, uh, you know, challenges in your life, but man, you only get, you only get one shot and it's not worth staying in that broken place and passing on, you know, you hear the, the stats all the time of like people that were abused that end up abusing their children, you know? And it's like people who grew up in addiction homes that become addicts. And it's like, man, break that cycle. Don't be, be the one that changes the family tree. And, yeah. um, you, you, God can help you do that. And so it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. I love that. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Love that, Sean. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks so much, man, for your friendship, your mentoring of me and my ministry and life and leadership. I'm so grateful for our relationship and, um, yeah, look forward to the next time we get to be together. Oh, man. Well, I can't wait to come down to your neck of the woods and bring this Southern accent into the Southern Hemisphere. Um, That would be a ton of fun. But man, Jason, I just have a ton of respect and admiration for you and just really thankful for your friendship. And it's a real, real honor to be able to hang out today. Yeah, man. Thanks. Well, I don't know about you, but every single time I hear Sean talk about his experience with his sabbatical, it just drives me to consider how do I create a pathway so that I can have an experience like that in my own life. I'm already putting together plans for the future of having that type of experience, a sabbatical where I can really slow down and work on some things in my own soul. 
to make that a part of my experience in the future is a goal that I have. And I hope that maybe today's episode has helped you to begin thinking about what would that look like for you in your life. I know for me, listening to this second part of the conversation, there's something that Sean said about empathy that really stood out to me. He said that looking at his relationships at work and with his marriage and his kids and even social friendships, it was empathy that really began to grow out of this experience, something that doesn't come naturally to him and if I'm being completely transparent, doesn't come naturally to me either. And so that's something that I so badly want to grow in my life, this muscle of empathy. And I'm sure as you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, yeah, I could grow in that area as well. So. Thanks so much, Sean, for sharing the conversation with us, and thanks for being so transparent and vulnerable. We so appreciate it. Well, before I go, though, I want to make sure that you don't miss conversations like this one. So if you haven't already, I want to encourage you to go to my website. It's jasonpercoperkins.com. You can sign up for our weekly emails there. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you're finding these conversations helpful at all in feeding your soul, we'd love to connect with you because that's what this podcast is all about is connecting with people that are looking to not only reach their goals, but also care for their soul along the way. And we want to help people do just that. So reach out to us on social media. You can do that. My social media handle is at Jason Perko Perkins on Instagram and Facebook. You can also just shoot me an email. My email address is hello at jasonpercoperkins.com. If you're finding these podcast conversations helpful, we'd love it if you'd share it on social media or share it with a friend so that they can see it as well and they can listen to it. We'd also love it if you'd give us a rating and a review of the podcast on whatever podcast platform it is that you listen to it on. All of those things help to get this message out to as many people as possible. My dream is really simple. I just want to see a generation of leaders reach their goals and at the same time be able to authentically say, it is well with my soul. I hope it's well with your soul today. Thanks so much for taking the time today to listen to the podcast. I so appreciate it. And I look forward to connecting with you online this week. Can't wait to share my conversation with Barry and Paula Davis with you next week. Until then, cheers. You've been listening to Perco's podcast. Join us next time for more insights on strategy, leadership, and soul care to help you reach your personal, professional, and spiritual goals while at the same time not losing your soul. In the meantime, make sure to connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.